Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. The scripture for this Bible study lesson is John 4, beginning with the seventh verse. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come. See the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. I thought about this lesson. I thought about implications of the scripture. And I remember a young man buying his teenage daughter on her birthday or 16th birthday uh, car. They set up certain restrictions for the use of this car. She could drive it to the mall, the mall that she was instructed to drive to. The only one she could drive to was the Jefferson Mall out in Oklahoma because that wasn't too far away from home. Now you can go and pick up your girlfriends and go and wander around in the mall and uh, then you'd be home by one o'clock or something. And so one night in the winter, he was wakened from his sleep by a telephone call and by this daughter, and she had had a wreck over here at this mall somewhere. And in telling me this story, he said, this accident should never have happened. This wreck should never have happened if she had I've done what she was told to do, but she didn't. Now, dear ones, this story that we come to this morning, this is so familiar to us and with us that we have long lost to something of the great, the greatness of the story and the awesomeness of it. Unless we put our mind to it and think in terms of what has really been said and in the understanding of what is being said here. Because this scripture and what it is really saying it is something that is absolutely amazing. And because you see, the truth of it is that this story should never have taken place. 
Now, when you begin to think about this scripture and, and uh, this story taking place, this thing happening the way that it did, the implications of it is absolutely astounding to me. There's either one or two conclusions that you can draw in relation to this story. And when you look at it in its detail and in its completion, you say that this is a freakish accident of nature. Or you would have to conclude, in which I do, that this is none other than the awesome plan of Almighty God. Now you look at this story as it is given to us and consider that the Lord Jesus Christ is down in Judah. And he's been preaching down there, been working down there, and now there's a grown up in that uh, community and in his situation, a religious argument, and it comes uh, in a way of uh, who's baptized who and how many have been baptized. And so Jesus, uh, seeming to get away from that conflict that was going on, wanted to go from Judah into Galilee. Now there's only one problem with Jesus doing that, going from uh, Judah to Galilee. You know, in between uh, Judah and Galilee, where Jesus wanted to go is his little country of Samaria. Here's where the Samaritans lived, of course. Now, to see something of this situation, you've got to see that and understand uh, this historical background to this, that the Samaritans were half-breed. Uh, they were people by the Orthodox Jews were hated with a purple passion. When they thought uh, of evil, and a country of being evil, they thought of the Samaritans in the, in the country where the Samaritans lived. Now the reason the, the Orthodox Jews hated the Samaritan people, they couldn't call them half-breeds, because in one of the uh, sacking of, of Israel and of Judah, you remember that they were carried off, and these Samaritans intermarried with a bunch of pagans. The custom that day when you sacked a city or a country, you'd take the citizens out of this country and take them over here and take the the people from this country and bring them over here. Well, the Jewish people who were left there uh, intermarried with these pagans that were brought in by the Babylonians. And so they, the Orthodox Jews thought that these Jewish people had betrayed their situation. They had betrayed God in a sense. And so their betrayal of God because they had polluted the lineage by marrying these pagans, the Orthodox Jews saw them as being evil. They would have absolutely nothing to do with them. And in fact, to be in contact with a Samaritan, if you were one of the priests and waiting on the temple and serving in the temple, if you had any contact with a Samaritan, especially if they touched you, you were unclean and you could not serve in the temple and the presence of God. This is how far it was. And now for Jesus to leave Judah, he would have to cross over the a river Jordan and go around, but instead of that, Jesus goes straight to through Samaria to get to Galilee. Now we have no understanding and no concept of the fact that Jesus was in a hurry. Why did he take his disciples and go through Samaria? It's an interesting <coughs> question, to say the least. Now, the disciples didn't want to have anything to do uh, with these Samaritans. Now. Jesus, after a day's walk, and I can imagine he was tired and weary and thirsty. It wasn't a complete day's walk. It was a more and more like a morning's walk. He finally comes to the place about a mile from a little town and where a well had been dug by Jacob. And so here Jesus was resting. Now it was in the middle of the day. 
You got to get this picture to understand it, to appreciate what's taking place here. It's in the middle of the day. Jesus is tired, and he's about a mile away from town, and he sent his disciples on to town to uh, get something to eat, and, and Jesus is resting here beside the wall of this well. And it said some of the people who are in a position knowing saying this well could be 100 foot deep. It was not a spring well. It was a well that just collected water, really. And... Here he was resting. Now, the other odd part of this situation is this woman, this Samaritan woman. Here she is coming to the well in the middle of the day. Now, you've heard this from your youth up. You know that this is unusual. It's only in the cool of the morning or in the, in the cool of the evening that they would come out to, to get water. And why was this woman not only coming in the heat of the day, but she was already coming from almost a mile from town. They had water in town. Why didn't this woman get water in town? Why did she leave? Well, to say the least, this woman was out of sync. She was not in step with the rest of the situation, the rest of the, of the custom of her day. And so that tells us two or three things about the situation. This woman was an outcast. I don't think there's any question about that at all. How good, uh, good people didn't associate with her. They had rejected her, they had shunned her, and so to keep from being embarrassed and humiliated, she'd come out alone by herself. She wouldn't go to the regular place before they got water in town, but she would take her water jug and walk down the road three quarters of a mile to pick up a jug of water and do it in the heat of the day. Now this is a Samaritan woman that has this encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. She was an outcast. She was completely and totally uh, cast and in all probability she was a sort of became a byword. Uh, she was out of step with her society. You think about this, though, what are her chances if you'd been thinking about her and her condition and her situation, rather, uh, that she was in and the Lord Jesus Christ? What do you think her chances was ever meeting the Lord Jesus Christ if you'd have been there two or three days before this? You just thought, well, this is an impossible situation. Her chances of meeting the Lord Jesus Christ is so slim you might as well forget about it. Now, this encounter itself is something that is filled with all kinds of thoughts and, and things. You've got to come to the conclusion, like I started out by saying, that this is uh, either this thing that has taken place before us, it's a freakish accident of nature, of a situation for this thing to take place, or if you really back off and look at that, you come to a conclusion, surely you would come to a study conclusion, that this just didn't happen. There's no way. You would never make me ever believe that this situation just happened. It did not just happen. This is the underlying foundation of the story is and that this is none other than the act of Almighty God. Now, if you see this as her destiny, it becomes a different story completely and totally. And it raises all kinds of interesting questions. Why was God so interested in this woman? Why did God choose this shady character to reveal one of his most awesome messages? What was the awesome message that God, through this Roman, revealed to her people? In effect, what was this woman to the town? When she went back to town, she became what? She was the evangelist. Now, isn't that interesting? 
You know, I think if I'd have been God, thinking about this situation and how I'm going to tell these town people about what's really going on, would I have picked this shady character? Interesting. But this is what God deliberately did. Someone had been completely rejected by that society, and rightly so, because she was out of step with the custom of the age. She was a very open woman and one that defied the customs of her society. And so because she had, that she was rejected by it. This was a concept that she was openly living in sin and deliberately committed it, you see. Now, here you see that what God did, he chose this woman to reveal to her society that the man out at the well was who? He was the Messiah. Now, the absolutely awesome, amazing thing about it was that when she told them that she had met the Messiah, make no mistake about it, this is what John is telling us, is that this woman is saying that I have met the Messiah, the promised one. And these people believed her. They believe her. What is God doing? Now, God has deliberately acted upon and in this fashion. He has selected this woman. It is part of her destiny. She is going to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing upon the face of this God-given earth, either below or above, that's going to stop this woman from meeting the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing. It doesn't make any difference what it looks like in relation to what she does or what she doesn't do or what the society thinks of her or what they don't think of her. It is the awesome choice of God that this woman is going to meet the Lord Jesus Christ and it is this woman that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to tell point blank in a fashion that I am the Messiah, which he didn't tell other people. He told her, I am the water. I understood this. It speaks about the living water in the Old Testament. You know what? You think about it. I said this has some awful, interesting implications, you see. You know, we go along in our daily routine and we go, oh, hum, oh, hum. It's just another day. It's just another day. It was the same as yesterday as today. Don't you ever believe that? Let me tell you something. That somewhere, somehow, in the infinite wisdom of God, you were made a living soul. And it is as in the interest of God to take you where you are right now and to bring you to exactly where he wants you to be. And that is precisely what he's doing every day. It makes it easier for him if you sort of cooperate with him. But what God has finally decided in his being in relation to you and where you're going and ought to be, nothing up on the face of this earth is going to keep that from happening. It's not going to do it. You are no more living by chance than this woman here long ago. Dear ones, let me tell you something. I believe this and what I claim for myself, I said in relation to every human being, and especially everyone in this class, and that is, you are in the hand of a living God. Not tomorrow. Right now.
not yesterday, you may have been, but right now, you are in the hand of a living God. Why do we make such a fuss about life and what it doesn't bring to us or what it brings to us that we don't want? Why can't we see who we are and what we are? And that we're in the hand of a living God and see this day, regardless of what it brings, whether it's difficulty, hardship, pain, agony, our joy, peace, that this too is in the hand of my God. It's not that I pray any more than Jesus prays that I will escape the suffering that's supposed to be my part in the kingdom of God, but rather my prayer shall be in keeping with his prayer. Lord, give me the wisdom, the ability, and capability of handling it the way that would be pleasing to you. And so, dear one, it really doesn't make any difference about this day. You're in the hand of God. You're in the hand of God. And the God that you're in the hand of is working to bring you to perfection where he wants you to be. Now, this story says a lot of things, but if it doesn't say that, I'll quit teaching. It says that you are in the hand of a living God. Paul knew this. He says, if I live, I live unto the Lord. He's saying exactly the same thing that I'm trying to say. If I live, I live unto the Lord. If I die, I die unto the Lord. And so therefore, whether I live or die, I am the Lord. Now, being a shouting Methodist from the past, you start shouting about that time if you understand what you're really saying. You know, this is a beautiful day. It'd be a beautiful day if it's raining. Why? Not because of what's happening outside or what's happening in here, but because of the knowledge that I have of who I am and what I am and what God is doing. This story is a profound story. It says some awesome things, you see. And it's not that we just discovered this people of long ago, discovered a long time ago. What do you think of yourself? This is important. What do you think? You know, Jeremiah, the old prophet Jeremiah, I see him as a young man. He had the routine of life just like the rest of us have. You have a routine within life. It's the same thing. What are you doing at 10 o'clock? You almost do the same thing. You can almost just regulate your time by what we're involved in at a certain time within the day because we have a routine pretty well worked out. And I see Jeremiah as he was going about his business. He's gone down this street many times, many times. Nothing had ever happened. Nothing really. Earth shaking took place. And then he looked at his society and he saw that things were taking place in his society were earth shaking but never ever happened to him. But one day he was walking down the same street that he had gone down practically every day of his life. And he had some things on his mind in relation to his people. When he came to the potter's house, something happened to him that had never happened before. Though he had seen this potter at work many, many times. But this day when he walked by the old potter's shop and the potter was out there making a vessel on his turn lathe, God spoke to him and he looked at the, what the potter was doing and that he's, he stood there and watched the potter and saw this potter was making a vase and he saw that he had uh, fouled the vase up and so what did he do? He left the clay back together again put it back on the wheel and started over again and that's when God said to him 
said, Jeremiah, that's exactly what I'm doing with Israel. Don't you worry about it. Don't you worry about Israel. In effect, he says, I'm making them in the fashion that I want them to be made in. And if it doesn't turn out right, he says, I put them back on the wheel and we're going to start over again. That's God. That man, 2,000 years before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, is one and the same that understood exactly what this is saying here. What's happened with this woman of long ago, you see. This Samaritan lady was caught up in the awesomeness of what was taking place between her and the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. You think about her, how lonely she had been, and how sad she had been in relation to the rest of her people, trapped in life, resigned to live in this way the rest of her days, living as an outcast, and then she comes to the place where she meets the Lord Jesus Christ. She sees the Lord Jesus Christ as being the Messiah. It is no wonder that she left her water jug and I don't think she walked back to town. I think she ran back to town to tell them what had happened to her. She had seen the Christ. She had been with him and had talked with him. And he was out of Jacob's well right now. And if you want to see him, you go out there and you will see him. She had been restored completely and totally in her own thinking in relation to herself. And she became the town evangelist, and they all believed. Well, when you stop at this story, and begin to look at the details of it, and you back off and you say, well, what does this story really say? Now, what is it really, really saying? The interplay between the Lord Jesus Christ and this Samaritan woman. I don't know what all it says, but it says something to me about the fact that I don't care who you are and where you are, you're not beyond the redemption of God. It really doesn't make any difference in a sense, as far as eternity is concerned, what people think of you, what your society thinks of you in relation to eternity. It's what God thinks of you and what God has in store for you. Now, you see, the thing I do not understand, and I can talk about it, but I don't understand. Why? Why have you been selected to do the thing that you do? Why was I selected to be a preacher? I can never answer that. That's all I know that it was. Why have you found favor with God? Now, dear ones, let me tell you something. You did not find favor with God yesterday or today or tomorrow. You're not going to find favor with God simply because you're good. Somehow or another, in the infinite wisdom of God, you were selected, you were chosen. That's locked with Him. And you stand in favor with God simply because of God. Because God loves. And because God loves you. Not because you're a saint. Not because you do something good every day. No, you ought to. Simply because God is who God is. I heard this morning on Bob Russell told a story on the way over to church about there's a dentist that goes next door to get the cookies and said he's talking to his little friend and says, Ms. Wilson, she doesn't give you a cookie because you're good. She gives you a cookie because she is good. Dear one, that's God. That is God. Our Father, help us to understand so that we would be able to live completely and totally 
to our full destiny, for we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of His words, finishing the work He started and making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven. 